Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Simply Vegan podcast, brought to you by the team at Vegan Food and Living, the UK's best-selling vegan magazine. Today, we're kicking off our summer cookery series. If you have no clue what to do with cauliflower, need tips on saving money on your food bill, or want to know how to get a rise out of your cakes, make sure you tune in every Thursday for the next month or so. If you listen regularly, don't worry, Molly and I will be back for our usual catch-ups in August, but in the meantime, have a listen to our chat with the happy pair. Just prepare to be very hungry by the end of the episode. Oh, and just quickly, before we get started, don't forget you can sign up to our newsletters at veganfoodandliving.com forward slash welcome to stay up to date with podcast news. And you can try an issue of Vegan Food and Living for just 99p at veganfoodandliving.com forward slash podcast. Today, we are joined by everyone's favourite Irish twins. No, it's not Jedwood. It is the happy pair. Um, I just need to ask you a quick question. Do you remember kissing me? Yes, of course. How could we forget? How could we ever forget? Is this a scandal? Tell me more. I think you do it to all the girls. So we were at Vivolution and it was kind of like the creme de la creme, wasn't it? Like Derek Sano was there and Bosch and it was just brilliant. I think it was like 2019 and... Um, I got, I was kind of like, oh, it's a happy bird. I need to get a picture with them. And as as like you counted down, you kind of both both kissed me on the cheek. So it's like my prized picture on my phone. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. I love this. <laughs> so how are you guys? What have you been up to? You're you know you're obviously super busy these days. Uh, well, this morning we got up at four forty-five. A friend of ours, we're we're in a hotel in London now. A friend of ours, Tony Riddle, uh, crashed in her hotel room because we got back from something late. And we got up at 4.45 and we met Chris Evans, you know, the guy, the, the Chris Evans, the regular show. Yeah, the we Chris met him Evans. at 5.20 and we <laughs> ran with him to his work. 
because we met him yesterday and then we all went up and we did a little bit in his radio show and it was such fun. It was a, a, like, it's now, it's now 9am and I've got 17,000 steps. Oh my gosh. You're an inspiration. I've got about five, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I think I have as well. That's so funny. I remember seeing you guys on Somebody Feed Phil and you just ran around London and I was just like, how are these guys oh, doing that was it? great fun. <laughs> Phil's a great man. That was such a Oh my God, he's amazing. He really is. And it's, that show is such a nice show because not only is Phil a wonderful man, but his brother uh, Richard produces it. Then his best friend John is the director. So it's real. His son works on it. His wife comes in. It's this real lovely family, family feel to it where you really feel. I love it. It makes me feel just so wholesome. Yeah, yeah he's a great guy. Really great guy. Really great laugh. <laughs> I definitely need to listen to the Chris Evans show. I, I love Chris Evans. So, um, yeah, that'd be a good one. So is that that was live this morning. So live, can... But this morning we were on for a short while, but yesterday, yesterday we were on for about 20 minutes and we had a great laugh. But it was such like archetype of energy, you know, it was like, wow, this is so exciting and <laughs> wild and anything goes almost. Yeah, because so he's, he's vegan, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. His wife, Tash, has been like this kind of, she kind of leads the, the vegan revolution in their house. Yeah, I went to um, Runfest a few years ago, which he, which he runs, um, and he was there. So yeah, he's brilliant. Anyway, let's stop talking about Chris Evans. Let's talk about you guys. So, um, <laughs> so you've got a new book out, The Veg Box, which we have Molly and I both have a copy. Thank you very much for sending that to us. Oh, right here. <laughs> it is such a lovely book. It's just you know, a cookbook for me. First of all, has to look pretty it's got to look nice I want to you know it's got to look like something I want to pick up so number one tick you nailed it well done nailed that. <laughs> but obviously you know you guys are all about the veg aren't you and it's packed with amazing ways like I think it's 10 vegetables 10 ways isn't it is using, the 10, using 10 ingredients or less because we wanted to I guess focus on simplicity like we've had a veg shop now for almost 18 years and it was how we kind of started. It was like this letter, this book is like our love of our love letter to vegetables. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and yeah, we have been right. Like it's full of it's, as we said, you know, most, most cookbooks are breakfast, lunch and dinner. Whereas we started with the vegetables because everyone knows that kind of lonely courgette in your fridge, you buy a pack of three, you use one, there's two sitting there. And every time you open the fridge, you feel guilty because it's sitting there looking at you. Going, use and, me, and use we've had me. And so, we've had so many years in the vegetable shop. You're going, what do I do with courgettes? What do I do with broccoli? That we just wrote a chapter for each of the 10 most common veg. And we did them 10 ways using 10 ingredients. And it's about it's about empowering people because like statistically, people waste 30% of the food they buy. So it's about helping you to use the veg so you've got those two lonely courgettes well in the book there's like a delicious courgette fritters there's you know with eight ingredients takes 15 minutes there's a courgette lime curd cake there's you know a one easy one pan courgette pizza we've got courgette in the base and we use courgette water and it's like a banging pizza that you do in one dish in 20 minutes so but there's lots of practical easy simple things well that's what we wanted to talk to uh talk about today because um this is part of our cookery series so i mean when you go vegan it's it when I went vegan, certainly, it just blew my mind what you could do with vegetables. So 
Shall we go through some common vegetables, like you just mentioned about courgette, that's, you know, some of us are just like, oh, I just, I don't, I have no idea what to do. Like, for, for example, let's start with aubergine. <laughs> oh, great. I love it. Love a good aubergine. One of our me too. I, I love never cook aubergine. with aubergine. It scares me. It's weird. <laughs> Straight up, it's weird. In English, we use it as a as a word to describe a color. But in in the US, it's called an eggplant because traditionally aubergines were small. They grow like little little white eggs on on a plant. Like they they kind of look like little an egg plant. Uh, but they're part of the nightshade family and they're one that people are afraid of because so often people undercook them and they end up chewy and rubbery and yeah. undercooked and just mm. awful. But aubergine is magnificent. When you roast it properly and you get it past that kind of caramelization point, it's melt in your mouth. It's just, it's so succulent and such a wonderful conduit of flavor. So it's it, on its own. It's not that it's bland, but when you do add oil, it has a wonderful capacity to absorb a lot of oil. So you want to kind of be be middle about and, it, not and, be too And different. maybe I would say a couple of top tips for anyone listening of how to unlock aubergine's flavor. Because as Stephen said, it's like a sponge. So you need plenty of liquid. Like if baking it, I find baking it is how I would typically do it. But so what do you do? Like you chop so big chunks, small chunks. Talk to me. Dave. Well, it depends on how long you're going to bake it for. If you're going to bake it, I will always you will always need to salt it. You will always like salt it as in put a little bit of salt on it, a little bit of salt in the pan. Like maybe you're going to chop it into, it depends on how you're going to do it, a little bit of oil and tamari. So I will always use tamari or soy sauce with aubergine because it just, and, umami, it just and, and as a rule of thumb, so if not tum, thumb, thumb, my, 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 I'm struggling with the THs, <laughs> but typically the smaller you cook any vegetable, the quicker it's going to cook in an oven. So try to cut it to a similar size that you're, you're comfortable with. Many people traditionally thought you had to salt aubergines and then wash it off to remove the bitter flavor. This is gone. This has been bred out. No need to do this. They're amazing carriers of flavor. And when, when you do roast them, many people will take them out of the oven, kind of shake them around and leave them when they're a bit slimy. But you want your aubergine, it's ideally it's in a fan oven, not steamed, where it has the ability to kind of draw the moisture out. And they should come out kind of slightly golden. And this, when you put them in your mouth, they will literally just melt. And it's almost like... like oh my gosh i'm so hungry it's a great recipe holly which i really i challenge you to try it's a lovely one in the book and it's it's an aubergine with a miso glazed and it's served with smashed potatoes and it's it's just so tasty i think i make a pesto out of it there's like a kale and or a almond and red pepper pesto which i pop through oh, so i'll go find it now but it's a, a very tasty you know i've often made it with harissa and all sorts of things but it's just a stuffed aubergine half that you bake in the oven and it's so oh I tasty. love that one yeah, yeah, that yeah really I, good. I've served that one loads of times or layered aubergine lentil bake that's a really good one yeah even 10 I recently I've been um, I've been charring aubergine on my gas grill um, but I tend to buy the aubergines that are a little bit too big and then they don't cook all the way through and then I put them in the oven and then they just get really wrinkly and sad. So I need to perfect this recipe and just get a smaller aubergine um, so that I can do it. Yeah, you, two things you can do there, Molly, <laughs> is to either chop it into smaller slices so that he can transfer it to the middle of the aubergine. So what's happening there is you're cutting the slices mm-hmm. too big and the temperature is too hot. So it's jarring on the outside, but not the heat hasn't transferred into the middle. So either you cook it at a lower yeah. temperature or else just slice it thinner. Okay, I'll do it. I'll let you guys know. <laughs> you got it, Molly. You got it. This is talking about cooking. I love it. Uh, right, I will give that recipe you mentioned a go. Um, yes, brilliant. <clears throat> whether, whether the kids are going to be sold on it, I'm not sure, but I will try. 
Let's let's talk next about cauliflower then. This is a bit of a, a controversial one. My daughter hates it, which is really annoying because she's vegan and there's so many amazing things you can do with it. I love cauliflower. Um, however, you know, back in the day, like when I used to hate it, like my grandparents would just boil it and cover it in that disgusting uh, sort of cheesy sauce. But yeah, what are some of the cool <laughs> things you can do with cauliflower? Yeah, cauliflower, I, I'm similarly, I hated it growing up. And even as a chef for years... I always hated it. It, just, didn't, it didn't feature in, in our first couple of books because we just didn't use We thought it was crap. I think everyone's like mother has ruined or like grandparent or whatever has ruined cauliflower for them. My mum, the same. She would have like a tower steamer and just steam the shit out of the cauliflower. And it was just this really bitter, soft, limp, just... Limp. Oh, so bland. The key to unlocking um, cauliflower's flavours to roast it. It's to draw the moisture out. And there is quite a lot of, like the way courgette is quite a high water-based vegetable, but cauliflower similarly has quite a high degree of moisture in it. So when you roast it, it has the ability for that water to evaporate and then the sugars to caramelise and char. And it's just... It is magnificent. I mean, it, it, would, it would be in our top three vegetables now. Like it's honestly, it's made its way from like a hundred on the list to now. It's in, like, it's just, it's such a good. Uh, on, on the topic of waste. <laughs> so as we mentioned earlier, typically a third of all food is wasted from growing, from distribution, from the home consumer. And this can cost anyone listening there between 500 to 700 uh, pounds per year. So there's a lot to be saved in this. And cauliflower leaves, most people discard and they go, oh, this is rubbish. But cauliflower leaves when you kind of rip them off you slice down that spine of it take a bit of the spine out if it's too hard and just roast them along with the cauliflower with a little salt and oil and they crisp up and they literally when you put them in your mouth they go you know like a pack of crisps and they're wonderful and similarly like cauliflower like if you want to be very simple and just taste it kind of as elegant just put salt and oil on it and typically like for one cauliflower head one tablespoon of oil will suffice and a generous pinch of kind of a coarse sea salt and then kind of putting things like smoked paprika, putting a bit of tamari through, put a bit of maple glaze through it so you get this type of thing. We do a nice kind of buffalo cauliflower wing in it, which is beautiful served through kind of these Mexican little um, tacos. It's such a lovely one. Even cauliflower rice works great. I love the rainbow roasted cauliflower salad. So it's like really nice. So you get this roast and we try to like serve it with pomegranate and serve it with kind of it's just magnificent. Put turmeric through it, so you end up with ye- yellow um, cauliflower. And then you've got the contrast, the yellow and the red. And with a bit of green, it just looks like a rainbow salad. So that's- Sounds delicious. Oh, amazing. Anything with pomegranate on top, I'm all over it. What do you guys think about, you know, when you go to a restaurant and you see cauliflower steak and it's kind of like... I don't know, £10 or something. And you're thinking, mm, it's just a slice of cauliflower. Do you think, you know, obviously it's it's good that those options are there, but do you think it's kind of a little bit cheeky? I think the steak <laughs> word is possibly a little bit of an ingest because if you think steak is quite grizzly and chewy and cauliflower, it's hard to get that texture. I think mushrooms much more lend themselves to that steak-like but I, chew or grizzle. I, but, but even to your question, like, I wouldn't mind paying it at all because, you know, you're just looking for a tasty dinner. And I remember I went to a fancy restaurant there. It was it was this year at some stage. And I ordered the cauliflower steak. And it was cauliflower steak and there was roast potatoes and there was other stuff. So there was there was plenty on it. But the, the cauliflower wasn't cooked properly. And this was quite a fancy restaurant. So, you know, it's chewed, like there's still a crunch and it's like, ah, oh, this should be melting, my mate. This should be just sublime and subtle and elegant but it was like and it was like ah jeez can you say you know it was like disappointing and i think part of the challenge with that is like if you think about a steak probably 
there's maybe there's a thousand calories in it possibly. And the challenge with cauliflower, typically it's lower in energy density, so it's higher in water. So you have to kind of get more fat in it. So I think in the case of that, maybe if it's wrapped in pastry or something just to give it more. Or if it's drizzled in nice tahini kind of stressing over it or something else to make it Something that's going to bring more calories and just deliver more satiation because fat when compared to, so protein, carbohydrate and fat, typically, not typically, fat has twice the calories when compared to protein and carbohydrate. So us as humans, you know, the goal of our life is we need foods in the hope that maybe we'll pass on our DNA one time. And if we can find fat, it has twice the calories. So it's, yes, so we love it. We're hardwired for it. So I think in the case of a cauliflower steak, I think, yes, cauliflower steak is great, but I think it needs to be served with kind of a more richer sauce just to make it seem more indulgent and to justify that 10 pound price tag. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's probably gone up now, you know, it'll probably be more like 15 quid. <laughs> I was going to say, what? Where are you living? 10 pounds for a meal. That's good. I went to think it's 22 pounds or 22 euros. So. Wow. God. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, you said, I love that you've got like your top 100 like list of vegetables. So what's your like number one veg? What, you know, what do you eat most days? I'd say it's mushrooms. Right, yeah. oh, mushrooms, like, if I'm cooking, it will be mushrooms. Mushroom for just flavour, you know, variety. You know, there's, there's six times more fungi in the planet than there is actual plants. So there's such a variety of mushrooms out there. And we only cook with probably this 10 or 15 common mushrooms. Now there's so many of them readily available. But they're just such carriers of flavor. They're just the incredible substrate that you can get meaty, grisly textures. You can use them for breakfast, for lunches. For They're just, they're my absolute favorite. What's your favorite mushroom? Oyster. Nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I agree. Them. The best. Oh, it's so sad when people say they don't like mushrooms. I'm like, oh, just, you know, just give them a chance. There's so many, like you say, there's so many different types and so much you can do with them. Yeah, and I think it's to move the cook. Many people think of a, of a mushroom kind of almost like a slug. Many people who don't like mushrooms. <laughs> Whereas I think when you do like, say, say, take a mushroom and you'll compress it. So the whole idea is say you take, say, an oyster mushroom and you flatten it out in a pan. And if you get a clean pan and compress it down on top of it, it's not, only, not only are you like compressing the mushroom onto the surface of the pan so you're going to get more charring, you're also, by compressing, you're encouraging more evaporation of the moisture in the mushroom. So you get this really incredible grisly texture. So once you start adding flavor into that, you really can get that mimic, that steak-like note. And you can do that with mm. oyster mushrooms. My tacky are a great one. Sometimes we do it a lion's mane mushroom. So these are like... Lion's mane, for anyone listening who doesn't know what it is, it's quite, it's kind of like this white fluffy cloud mushroom that met like the <laughs> snow monster or something. Like you're looking at it going, oh my God, is that a mushroom? But again, when that's compressed, you can really get this almost like a chicken steak. Like and a, chicken and, and a like lion's mane mushroom is one of the ones, the mushrooms that in studies have shown that they can help um, re- recreate more neural pathways in your brain like it looks like a brain it looks like neurons in your brain and it's been shown in studies like there's lots of supplements now of lion's mane because it's yeah. herald in terms of brain health but nature is just so amazing isn't it i mean what that is incredible <laughs> um okay molly did you have any vegetables that you kind of really don't cook with a lot but you'd like to oh, so i love beetroot love it Love it, love it. But I always find myself a little bit stuck for inspiration. I've seen that you've got loads of recipes in your book and I might tackle the spaghetti and beet balls later. Um, but what would you, your favourite recipe They're, be? They were good. I remember cooking them. If you're going to cook one from the beetroot chapter, I would cook those beetroot burgers. They are 
absolutely okay. class. Like invite people over and cook those burgers and they will be your friends for life because they're really, really good. <laughs> One of our okay. most popular recipes ever really was the beetroot burgers from our first book and that had about 25 different ingredients. So with this book, we wanted to really pair it back. Ha ha ha, pair it back. Uh, Sorry, that was awful. <laughs> but, it's nearly about as bad as my Jedward yeah, joke. We've we forgotten about that, Holly, don't worry. But we wanted to see if we could make the same flavourful burgers with less than 10 ingredients. So that was the goal of these ones. And these are really beautiful, easy, delicious burgers. And generally you'll serve them not necessarily in a bun, but more kind of put a bit of nice kind of carrot hummus or sweet potato hummus or some, some, some form of hummus with it and some greens on top of that. But I love the beetroot pesto. So the idea of beetroot pesto might sound ridiculous, but, and pesto and beetroot typically are high in water. So you kind of go, oh, that won't marry well together. But it has such a vibrant pink color. And when you do serve it with like a spaghetti, it looks remarkable. You're looking at it going, wow. And like, and we, we make about half a ton of pesto a week. So we literally, we, we make a lot of pesto because uh, we sell it all around Ireland. So to make a beetroot pesto, like you want it to emulsify so that it's a kind of like, you know, you've got a consistent texture across your pesto. And because beetroot's very high in water and it's quite starchy, you're going to end up with chunks in it unless you kind of do it properly. So you played around with this one for quite a bit to get that beetroot pesto pasta, which is perfect, which was very good. Yeah. People are going to get so hungry listening to this episode. We haven't had brekkie. We haven't managed to brekkie yet. So I'm... Neither have we. I'm so hungry. Part of the challenge with the book was to try to come out with how can we, you know, we want to give a range of breakfast, lunch, dinner and some desserts. And it was kind of like what veg lends, lend themselves. Yeah, the desserts. challenge was to try to come up with, you know, and we, we tried doing a mushroom chocolate mousse. And we tried doing over, aubergine pavlova. Didn't work. But the likes of beetroot and carrot <laughs> or courgette tend to lend themselves more than any vegetables. Like beetroot is typically the sweetest of all vegetables. Carrot is the second sweetest of all vegetables. So beetroot works really well and it, com- it combines really well with chocolate and coffee. So there's a lovely recipe for a beetroot chocolate and coffee cake. And there's a lovely one where we do uh, nine ingredients. Nine ingredients. There's a lovely um, cho- two ingredient chocolate mousse that we'll put on top of a berry brownies, which is beautiful. Like really. Um, I... I made a, uh, I think it's a beetroot and bean curry, which was, I think it was a Riverford recipe. And I'd never put sort of beans with beetroot or beetroot in a curry, but that was really good. Um, aubergine, did you say aubergine pavlova? Yeah, that right, sounds yeah. disgusting. Yeah, that's, that's well, something. I guess, I guess once you've got a veg shop and, you know, a local farmer calls you up and said, I've got you know, 500 kilos of aubergines, I'll give them to a special place, you just take them, you go, absolutely, we'll take them. And you just have to figure out how to put them into everything. So you're really trying to push the boundaries of aubergines, you're putting in curries, you're putting in lasagna, you're putting in salads, and then you go, oh, the bakers and the bakery shift, can you come up with something which we can try to do with aubergines? And then Stephen, I'll try it with pavlovas, we tried it in chocolate cookies, we tried it, you know, we tried it in loads of different things, but aubergine just doesn't work that well for desserts. No, <laughs> I love that. At yes. least you tried. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, last one that, that I would particularly like to know about is leeks. I find them a bit stringy and they stink the house out. Like whenever I smell leeks, it just takes me back to my childhood, going to my grand's house and she'd always be cooking like leek and potato soup or leek and potato pies. And it just, your whole 
like hair or your clothes would stink <laughs> when you came, you know, sort of left the house. So what what sort of things do you? Okay, leak is definitely in our top five favorite veg. Like it really, really controversial. Yeah, yeah, like it's right up there. Like it's a serious contender. Like we have a, a serious love affair with leek. And I guess the first point to say with leek is like in the UK and Ireland, we typically use the white part of the leek. People don't use the green part. But if you go to northern Spain, we'd have we'd a very uh, a chef from um, Pipe Basco. And he was saying that in northern Spain, they just use the green part of the leaf. But what we do is we'll use the green and the white. Like, make sure to use the full part of the leaf. But, the, like, it's such a subtle, soft, delicious vegetable. Like, it really is. There's a tenderness to leaf, which takes time and patience to unlock because otherwise you're going to end up crude and crass. So there's a way. It's a bit like this. You've got to speak a certain language with leek, and Stephen's going to tell you how now. Yeah, I, th- I think it, it steams really well. Like, a leek, like, say, say you are cooking your beetroot and bean curry, um... Holly, and if you do take your leek, like the, the the challenge with leek is that if you are going to use the green part of the leek, just to give it a good good rinse, like a real soak rinse, because lots of sediment often hides in the mid, middle of the little funnels up the top. It's perfect. It's almost like it's designed to catch sand. So it's, there's loads of sand. And so typically what I will do is I'll chop the base, the roots off. I'll chop it long ways down the leek, open it up and give it a good rinse inside it. Soak, rinse, soak, rinse. Just make sure there's no sediment. And then chop it up to whatever kind of size, whether you want longer pieces or shorter pieces. Um, but you kind of want it to hold that integrity of the leek. And then pop it into your curry or whatever you're cooking. Put a bit of salt just to draw a bit of moisture on it and put the lid on. And allow it just that the, the moisture just to evaporate. And kind of almost allow it to sweat for kind of five, six minutes. Take the lid off. Allow the moisture to evaporate. You're gone from steaming to suddenly frying. And what you want to do is allow it to get to the base of the pan and just char ever so slightly so you get the soft subtle sweetness with the char caramelized bit on the outside and it is i love it and when you bake it when you bake it you unlock a sweetness to it as well so you can end up with a a crispy golden caramelized outside and then a soft sweet succulent gooeyness that almost tastes like sweets like it's like that hybrid that kind of slightly pervy hybrid between savory and sweet like it's really <laughs> like one recipe that I, that was my favorite one was kind of a sweet miso leek kind of pastry parcel so oh, instead of like a sausage roll we wanted to do a leek roll but to do it with kind of a miso kind of maple pastry parcel and it's just ah oh, i love it, it a little there, but it was fun <laughs> molly have you ever seen anyone get so excited about vegetables molly <laughs> no i'm so in love with it it's just so inspiring to see people just this happy about vegetables you cannot look at the happy pair and not be happy can you you guys are just so (laughs) smiley and excitable and passionate and it's like i just love you (laughs) (laughs) i i do think you need your own cookery show though what's going on with that is that in the pipeline it should be yeah yeah no definitely is we're not sure exactly where or how or when we did pursue doing something with phil and rich which was cool phil rosenthal we kind of were looking at doing stuff with kind of bigger bigger stations and that yeah. didn't get off the ground so but no we definitely it's it's something we're definitely working on at the moment so watch this yeah well just quickly how did you sort of get to where you are now um because it's, it's quite an interesting story isn't it because obviously you're both twins and you were on opposite sides of the world when you kind of made that change because you didn't used to be kind of like rugby playing beer swilling you know burger eating you know like when you were at uni and stuff yeah yes yeah. so, so we so if anyone who doesn't know us um where Dave and Steve are identical twins and we grew up in a small little town in Ireland. It's called Greystones. And yeah, we were, we're two of four boys and being identical twins 
Your poor mother. Yeah, exactly. Your poor, poor mother. mother. <laughs> but even worse, like being identical twins, you're like, you're just hyper competitive because you've always been competing for love and attention every day of our lives. Um, so, you know, we tended to be overachievers. So by the time we were 18 or 19, we were playing off scratch and golf. We were playing semi-pro rugby. We played baseball for Ireland. Not that that was hard to do, but it was still something, you know. <laughs> and also we were like we went to all boys schools so you got great street cred if you if you went out on a date with a pretty girl so that was kind of like we liked doing that too also and then we ended up going studying business and it same thing being competitive in business it's all about making money so we were like we're gonna make loads of money steve we're gonna like be really rich and make loads of money and that's yeah we're gonna win um but by the end of university so we were 21 we both kind of had lost faith in that money is a god and and steve turned to me one day and he said dave Dave, I'm going away traveling. I'm not coming back till I'm happy, and you're not coming with me. <gasps> and we we like shared a wardrobe up to this stage, and probably had only spent more than a night or two apart in our whole lives. Like we are oh. twins. So anyway, we both went away traveling separately for two years. We left as these two meat-eating rugby playing jocks, and. Over the next two years, life just took us in this journey where we ended up both separately becoming vegan. Um, this is 20 years ago. We got into yoga and meditation and, you know, gave up alcohol and got into farming and all sorts of things. And then came back two years later as these two strange creatures that people thought had really lost their way. And we <laughs> Was there a particular country that sort of inspired you to sort of take on this vegan and like yoga um, lifestyle. I think it was probably a, a, there was a journey, but I do remember being in Guatemala and there was this lady, Mary Powell. I was by the lakes of Lago Atitlan, which is this beautiful area where there's all volcanoes and there's a lake in the middle and it's called the land of eternal spring. That's they call it there. So there's loads of avocado trees, loads of mango trees. It's pretty idyllic. This lady, Mary Powell, she was there. She was 85 and she had her own little huerta, which is a little garden of vegetables. She used to go out there every morning gardening. I used to walk up the hills with her and collect avocados and mangoes with her. She was sprightly. She was 85. She was like cooking lentils, cooking like peasant delicious vegan food. For her, it wasn't vegan. It was just it was what she did. And and that was very inspiring for me because it was I saw this woman who was so full of life and vigor and energy and what she ate was vegetables and lentils and you know and that was glorious that and, was, and she was so connected to the soil and the land and the earth and I think that's part of modern day the challenge of modern day living so many of us can feel disconnected isolated lonely many of us can lack meaning and I think food has the ability to you break bread with someone and suddenly you feel there's a connection suddenly you're less divided and I think the more we can use food as a vehicle so many of us can feel disenfranchised in modern day living but I think a friend often says the expression that politics starts in your plate. And every time you go to eat, you can choose what food system you want to support. And the more we can choose a food system that nourishes the soil, that encourages more biodiversity, that encourages more animal welfare, that encourages, you know, more better environmental practices that, practices that support more sustainability, the more of this world we're all going to grow. Definitely. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, as always, you know, we could chat for hours, but I'm sure you need to go and have some breakfast yeah, now. Yeah, like you so. guys. I want to cook some aubergines <laughs> and leeks. <laughs> oh, bracky served. <laughs> and let us, know, let us know how you get on, Holly, if you do cook that aubergine dish. I'd love to hear it. And if your daughter eats it. Yeah, if the children eat it, it will be a winner. But yeah, I think they'll be doubtful, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> 
Um, so are you off home later? Because I know you, you go swimming every morning, don't yeah, you? We swim at sunrise. Morning, yeah, Yeah, so are you off home to Ireland? We're, we do, we're doing book signings. So we go to book signings and then we're doing two cooking demos this evening. And then we're doing... Tomorrow there's a vegan, there's a, there's a vegan festival on which we're going doing a, cook, a cooking demo with that. And it's all good. Oh, oh nice. Wow. So you weren't swimming in the Thames this morning? No. Then? We're going to go to the Serpentine <laughs> tomorrow, actually. And oh nice with some guy at like half five in the morning or six in the morning so so that'd be exciting so i'd love to join oh. you one day molly will i have to go over to grace <laughs> kind of... yes please if we were in london we'd be there but we're not so <laughs> okay, great. anyway thank you so much and yes everyone check out the new happy pair book the veg box Oh, those guys are just so much fun to talk to. Join Molly and myself next Thursday when we'll be chatting to Bettina Campolucci-Bordi all about baking. So how do you get a rise out of your Yorkshires? What do you use instead of egg in your cakes? And uh, in the meantime, don't forget to like and subscribe. And of course, share the episode with your friends. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.